You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. So what is it that motivates you to give financially? What is it that motivates you to give your resources? Live to die. Is it a a sob story? Is it, you know, is is it even something like that that just kind of grips your heart and you go, man, that is horrific. I just, I really want to play a part in that. Is it maybe World Vision and other organisations do this beautifully? They, they, They share needs, but then they link it to a human being. And you see this little child in poverty, but with a big smile on their face. And I don't know, just breaks my heart, but it motivate, that's certainly something that motivates me to give. Or is it a sense, of, a sense of obligation, something I should do, duty? Or is it something or even someone else? Well, today we're going to finish off our Hearts to Serve, Pray and Give series by focusing exactly in on this. What motivates or what should motivate? God's people to give with genuine generosity, with cheerful hearts. So let's pray as we open God's word and explore this together. Loving God, we thank you, Jesus, just for the generosity that you have freely given to us and continue to give to us and bless us and bless us and bless us. We, we can't help but be overwhelmed as we think about just how good and how generous you are. And so, God, today, as we look at generosity, as we explore this, we just pray that you would minister to our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would bring, bring fresh insights, that you would break through where perhaps personally we've become a little hardened to giving of our finances. Whatever it is, God, we pray that you would minister, that you would move, and that you would be glorified, and we would be freed to give generously as you call us to do with those cheerful hearts. So, Lord, bless our time together in your word, and we thank you for your word. What a blessing it is to us. It is truth, and we choose to submit ourselves to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who can remember who's married going on your honeymoon? Who can remember? Yeah, a few of us? That's good. Well, Laura and I went on our honeymoon... Over almost 13 years now. 13? 12. Is it 12? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, 12 years ago. Anyway, I can't believe how fast time flies. It feels like 13, but there you go. And so, <laughs> she, I'm in trouble now. She, we did what any newly married Christian couple does when they're on honeymoon. What's that? Don't answer that. We went to church. We went to church. Who went to church on their honeymoon? (laughs) Only us. Oh, oh, Melinda and Jerry, right, okay. (laughs) You know, we're in in Fiji. Has anyone ever been to Fiji? It is incredibly beautiful. Um, It's it's Fiji time, if anyone knows what that means. So you don't know what day it is, you don't even know what time it is, because it's just so relaxed and chilled. But we were having a great time on this remote island at this lovely eco-friendly resort, and it was just beautiful. 
And somehow, when we discovered that we didn't know that it was nearly the weekend, but turns out it was nearly the weekend, and we found from some of the staff members, because it's a Christian nation traditionally, and so a lot of them were talking about going to church. And so somehow we just happened to say, oh, you know, where's the church? Like, how could we get there? And they're like, oh, well, we could take you there on Sunday morning if you're up at this time and meet us here. Okay, cool. So for mode of transport when you've got to get to another island? A dinghy, a dingy dinghy. And so we zoomed. No, we didn't really zoom. We, it was more of a putt along through the coral and dodging different things across to this island that you could see from the island we were on. Now, to say this was an experience, this, our church visit, would be an understatement. We did some singing, which was great. We felt right at home. We were comfortable with that. Very good. And then later on in the service, they, they wanted someone, because it was all in... Fijian language, but they, they didn't want the Westerners to miss out. So they wanted someone to read from the old King James, a really obscure passage that was about 100 verses long. And so would anyone be willing to read this? And all the Westerners are sitting there in their seat, shifting, looking down, and, and I'm like, man, I'm the only one here who would even be stupid enough to read that. So I volunteered, And I read aloud those 100 or so verses, stumbling all the way. Like, seriously, it was the most obscure passage. I don't know why you'd really want to preach on it. Anyway, well, it's God's word, so you can preach on it, but you get what I'm saying. And that was okay. Even that was okay. However, when they came to collecting their tithes and offerings, this was when we felt, it's fair to say, pretty uncomfortable. How'd they go about it? Pass around some bags like, like we do? Nope, didn't do that. Maybe they invited people up to, to come and, and deposit very just quietly and discreetly their little offering in a little box up the front. That could, be, that could work, yeah? No, nope, didn't do that either. So what this church did, very interesting, I'm yet to find the justification for this in Scripture, but this church welcomed people up And they praised the people who gave. And they outed people who weren't giving. In fact, they went so far to actually publicly announce in this whole setting, with all these Western visitors as well, I'm sure I wasn't the only one feeling awkward, but they publicly announced the people who weren't giving and how much they owed of their giving. Man, that was an experience. Aren't you glad we don't do that here? <laughs> well, every time I think back to this experience, I, I just, oh, it, it makes me smile. But I can't help but wonder, what was it that actually motivated those Fijian church members to give of their finances? You know, was it a sense of fear? Like, oh man, if I don't give this week, I'm going to be called out like Brother Samuel over there. And he only missed one week. (laughs) Was it a sense of duty? Like, this is what I should be doing because, you know, God calls us to be generous givers and, oh, man, I I really should do this? Was it that? Or was their giving actually done despite the unusual culture in which the giving was kind of talked about? Was it actually done with a generous spirit and with a cheerful heart? I'd love to go back one day. Maybe, Laura, we can go back one day. What do you reckon? 20 years? Something like that? 
I want to go back and actually ask someone, quiz them a little bit around what, what motivates them to give. But anyway, maybe I can do that in eight or so years. But, you know, whenever, whenever I think giving and church, God always leads me back to the same place. Always. Always leads me back to 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9 in particular. These, these really are, they're foundational passages when it comes to giving financially as New Testament believers. Now, very quickly, I'll start by addressing something because many, many people have asked me this over the years. Why do we call ours offering and not tithes and offering? So, for some of us here, maybe those of us listening online, um, we, we think of our giving financially and we think of tithes. And we feel led by God to tithe, say, 10% or more of our income today, and we refer to that ourselves as a tithe. That's wonderful. Praise God for that. If you feel led to do that and you feel that God's, it sits well with you that you refer to that as an offering in that way, as a tithe, praise God. The reason we shifted from calling it tithes and offerings to offering many years ago is because as New Testament believers, we aren't actually under that part of the Old Testament law that requires tithing of, well, we'll get into that in a minute. So that's why we actually call it offering. And as you'll see today, there's, there's different, different things that govern what is an acceptable offering to God for New Testament believers. You know, the Old Testament in, say, Leviticus 27.30, for example, it outlines the requirements that the Israelites were to give 10% of the crops they grew and the livestock that they raised to their tabernacle and temple. In other words, back in their day, that was their wealth. Yeah? Following? But not only were they required to do that, Often we talk of tithes in church and we think 10%, yeah? That's what we think, tithe 10. However, the Old Testament law actually required further tithes, multiple tithes, one for the Levites, that was provision for the priests of the day, the pastors today, um, one for the use of the temple and feasts, and one for the poor of the land. And guess what? Anyone want to have a stab in the dark at what percentage of someone's wealth that would, would have been? A third, around, yep, 30%, some say 24%, but it's significant. So can you imagine that? Aren't you glad we don't do that today? No, seriously, though, as we'll see in a moment as we explore Paul's teaching in 2 Corinthians, what God is really concerned about when it comes to giving is not what we call it. You can call it tithes, by all means, do that. You can call it offering, by all means, do that. God doesn't care. He doesn't concern about what we call it. He's not even concerned about the amount in which we give. What God is concerned about is the heart that we have in giving it to him. Yeah? It all comes back, as with everything in the entirety of our faith, it all comes back to our hearts. And this is the measure for New Testament followers of Jesus. And this is why here at Liberty, we, talk, we call, we refer to our time of sowing financially into God's kingdom, offering and not tithes and offering. So there you go. Lots of you have asked me that over the years. 
that's what it is. All right, enough about that. Let's get in to God's word. We'll, we'll read um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, but we'll skip some of these parts of these chapters just for brevity's sake today, and you can check them out in your Connect group this week. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes about generous giving. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this... Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now skipping to verse 9 in chapter 9. Um, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achai has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. 
By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? Lots and lots of, pardon the pun, gold on giving in there. You know, we could draw out and explore many things, but today I just want to highlight four ideas that Paul touches on when it comes to generous giving. And here's the first. Generous giving comes from a foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Here's the truth. I'm sure we know this. We know this to be true. I don't even need to say it, but I'll say it anyway. We will only ever be financially, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, any generous when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus and our actions come from a deep appreciation and love for him. Yeah? We'll never be generous in any of those ways if we're not looking to Jesus and getting captured by Jesus and then operating out of his out of love for him as led by the spirit. We just won't. Cuz think about it, in Jesus we see the most generous giver who has ever existed and ever will. In Jesus we see the most generous giver who continues to give and give and give and give and will continue to bestow his blessings on his created people, you and I, forevermore, into all eternity. Our God is, at his core, a generous God. He's a generous giver. We see this all through Scripture, from the opening pages of the Bible all the way back in Genesis, as we see God creating the heavens and the earth for what? For his glory, but also for our enjoyment. Liberty Kids, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hand. It's for his glory, but it's also to look out and just marvel at him and enjoy who he is for us. And all the way through the Old Testament, keep going, see that over and over again as we did last, and all the way through the New, and still to this day, this is, or it can be, if we don't yet know Jesus, if we're on a journey of spirit, seeking spiritual truth, this can be true for us as well. We can experience God as a generous giver because he is a giving God who loves to give. And when we fix our eyes to Jesus, and this is what Paul does so beautifully in this passage, he, he helps people to look straight to Jesus. When we fix our eyes to Jesus' work on the cross, we see it for what it really is. It's the ultimate generous gift, isn't it? Jesus gave his life. He sacrificed himself willingly on the cross, opening the way for us to find forgiveness and experience fullness of life in relationship with God. What a generous gift that is. What a generous God we serve. As the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You know, friends, our generous God became poor. He came down from his place of position, of influence, of privilege, and he humbled himself, becoming obedient 
even to the point of death, on the cross for our sake. So that by his poverty, because that's what it is, he's humbled himself, he's become poor, we might become rich. We might become, we might find salvation. We might enjoy the wonders of God's eternal riches in Christ Jesus, that we might enjoy relationship with God now and for all eternity. And then all the, the way at the end of today's passage in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul uses a word that, this is remarkable, it's found nowhere else in all of Scripture. This one word. It's used nowhere else. And what I, what I see in that is, is Paul's just kind of trying to find something to describe just how good and generous our mighty God is. He says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Some translations call it indescribable. The Greek word used here, the literal translation, literally means unutterable. So in other words, we can't really describe it. We can't really describe, we can't articulate just how good and faithful and generous our Lord is. You getting this today? Good. Now, I'm sure it's pretty obvious what happens in our hearts when this is the foundation for generous giving, yeah? You know, when, when Jesus is our foundation, we're not thinking about percentages, are we? We're not going, oh, I should give that much because that's, mm, that's what I heard someone say once. It's a good foundation to start. That shouldn't be it, should it? Because when Jesus is our foundation, we're not thinking about percentages. We're just thinking about freely and generously sowing what God has blessed us with for the good of others and for his glory. We don't have to try to live out Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, where he, where he calls us to, to try to excel in the act of grace of giving financially. This thing just becomes outwork naturally in us. As, as we look to Jesus, as we consider that he became poor for our sake, that we might be rich, and not just materially rich. We're not talking about that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm talking about the fullness of riches in Christ Jesus. And we'll get to that a bit later. We can't help but want to give generously as we look to and celebrate Jesus, God's inexpressibly costly gift to us. We are, and we can continue to grow as people with hearts to give as we look to Jesus, our generous saviour, as our foundation for generous giving. All right, so that's the first. Here's the second. Generous giving is for everyone, is heartfelt and spirit-led. Generous giving is for everyone, is heartfelt and spirit-led. Paul points to this in what he writes in 2 Corinthians 9.7. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. Do you see that? Everyone must give as he, ha he or she has decided in their hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, each of us are to give financially. Each of us are to give financially as we've decided, as we feel peace in our hearts, as the Spirit moves and we talk with God and we feel a peace, 
We are to give with that kind of heart, with cheerfulness, not reluctantly or under compulsion. When I think about, you know, New Testament, and I think of stories that kind of epitomise this, I think of the widow making her offering in the temple. And that was a generous offering from that widow. This woman brought, according to Jesus, she brought all that she had to live on. She gave all that she had to live on as an offering to the Lord and was rightly commended for her generosity. And here's how Mark records it in Mark chapter 12, 43. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Now that is some generous giving right there, isn't it? This widow is poor, and comparatively to the offerings others are making, her offering is nothing. It's nothing. It's not substantial. It's not a lot of money in a practical sense. But it seems that she chose to give generously, contributing what she was able to do, what she has decided in her heart to give out of deep love and trust in God to provide for her every need. In a sense, God was her treasure, not her wealth. God was her security, not in having enough money to to pay the bills or to whatever. And Jesus commended her for her heart in giving so generously. And it's a beautiful thing. I'm wondering, friends, is, is that your heart when it comes to giving financially to our church community? Are you giving with a, a generous and a grateful heart as led by Holy Spirit? Or are you giving or perhaps not giving out of any other motivation, whether that be selfishness, fear, and one of the biggest traps for us, Jesus spoke about this time and time again, love of money. Love of money. Whatever it is, Paul's encouragement is clear for each and every one of us. We're all called to give financially to support God's kingdom work. So will we, will we let him shape us as people with hearts like Jesus, with hearts to give so that we give cheerfully and not under compulsion. Okay, that's the second. Generous giving is for everyone, is heartfelt and spirit-led. And here's the third. Generous giving blesses others and meets tangible needs. All through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, read it this week, you'll see it. They're talking about needs of the saints in other geographical areas, and I'm so glad that we are a church who believe in this as well. We are a generous people here at Liberty. I love that we're motivated by love for Jesus in sowing generously into his kingdom work. Our special offering that we received just before is a great example of that, that we want to join with these kind of works overseas to bring relief and God's love to people who are broken and hurting. I love that we have many, many missions partners that we ongoingly support as a church community. Things like Open Doors Australia, um, World Vision, Compassion, the Tobias family in West Africa, Levi McGrath ministering in remote Aboriginal communities around the top end of Australia, and so many others. 
I love that we're a church that invests financially in our local community too, that we're all about serving and blessing people through movie nights, running Alpha, putting on the Hillsville Community Carols, so many other things. There's too many to name. All of these things prove, they're proofs, that God's love is well and truly alive and active in our hearts, individually and collectively. And this is so important, and Paul, Paul brings it home in this passage. When you give to your church, when you give here to Liberty Family Church um, and to the, to the saints, so to speak, your giving blesses others and meets tangible needs. Because that's what, that's what we're about as a church. We want to join with his work. And when we give, it blesses others and it meets tangible needs. We don't just exist for ourselves, do we? We don't just exist and we don't receive funds in order to keep the lights on, keep us nice and cool or warm, depending on the season. Or even, we don't just give of our finances so that I can feed my family or Jen can feed hers. Naturally, those things are included as we give, and we praise God for that. Praise God for you. But our giving does so much more than that. Our giving, our generous giving, blesses others and meets tangible needs. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, 1 to 5, I don't have it there, but he points to a, a clear tangible need, doesn't he? He points, hey, there's a need over here in Macedonia, and you guys can meet it. Are you going to do it? Are you going to give with that kind of heart? And reminds them that their generous giving will, as my ASV study Bible puts it, maximise their joy, help fellow believers, and bring honour and praise to God. That's what generous giving actually does to us as well. It maximises our joy. We get buoyed as we see our partnership in the gospel work. It, it helps fellow believers and it brings honour and praise to God. So we do that when we give financially, but we do more than this too. By giving financially, not only do we meet other believers' needs locally and around the world, but we are also playing a part in Jesus' great commission, a very practical part in seeing nations reached with the gospel and people baptised and following him. Your generosity in giving aids us in, as a church community, in continuing God's kingdom work near, a bit further, and to the very ends of the earth. That's, that's absolutely that. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it a beautiful thing to be able to join in that? How blessed are we to be able to partner with God in his kingdom work through sacrificial service, faithful prayer, and generous giving? What a blessing. All right, so that's the third Generous giving blesses others and meets tangible needs. And here's the fourth. Generous giving blesses us and glorifies God. Now, let me be really clear. This isn't and should never be the reason, the motivation for our giving. But, man, what an amazing reality and blessing and truth this actually is. We give generously with our finances. And what happens? God generously blesses us. Consider just these few scriptures from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 8, 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that so having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verses 10 to 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in some, a couple, every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, let me be clear, lest you think I've morphed into some kind of prosperity false teacher. Let me be clear. Paul's not necessarily talking about financial blessings here. Okay? Let's just make that clear, because too many people don't make that clear, and then think that, well, if I give and, and sow into God's kingdom, God's going to give me a tenfold blessing in return, and then I'll be rich. I think it's clear to say, a safe summary would be, we're not, there's great dangers in being rich, and so I don't think God wants that to be true for all of us, because many of us will fall away by having great riches. Amen? So what he's actually getting at, he's pointing us to his riches, true riches, riches that won't fade away or perish or rust or thieves will come in and, just, and steal. He's talking about incredibly abundant, soul-satisfying spiritual riches. Sure. Now, I want to put a little caveat on that. I've experienced this many times, and perhaps you have too, that when you sow generously financially, sometimes God does provide supernatural blessings of a financial nature. I've experienced that, and I know many of you have as well. But let's be clear, and Jesus made this point over and over and over again, and we know that if he makes a point over and over again, maybe we should listen to it. He said over and over again, earthly riches and wealth are not ultimate riches. Earthly riches and wealth are not ultimate riches. Ultimate riches are found only in relationship with him. Things like peace with God, forgiveness, joy, all the abundant fruits of the Spirit, relationship just with him. All of these treasures are true treasures that will never fade, will never perish, will last for eternity. Charles Spurgeon, I, I like what he says. He says this, In all my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. Friends, let's go full circle and go back and sit with the question that I first raised. What motivates you with your financial giving? Are you generous in your giving? Do you give freely from what God's blessed you with? Because in the end, everything we've been blessed with is his anyway, isn't it? Are we giving, are we giving freely from that? Do we give freely with a truly cheerful heart. God wants all of us. He wants us individually. He wants us collectively as Liberty Family Church to grow as people who not only sacrificially serve, not only faithfully pray, but also generously give of our finances. Who, as Henry Drummond, he's a Scottish evangelist from years ago, 
people who understand the most obvious lesson in Jesus' teaching, and it's this. There is no happiness in having or getting anything, but only in giving. May we all play our part in God's kingdom work by by allowing Holy Spirit to really move in us, to move in our hearts, to shape us so our hearts are like Jesus, so we have hearts like his. And may we also all play our part in seeing that Liberty Family Church is able to do every single kingdom work that God leads us to do as a community. Amen? And we can do that as together we sacrificially serve, faithfully pray, and generously give. Amen? Let's pray as we close. Loving Jesus, we just want to praise you, God, that you are the foundation of our very lives. Jesus, you are the foundation. You are, you are the cornerstone. You are the one who, who undergirds all that we are, all that we do. The very world, Lord, you hold in the palms of your hands. And Jesus, we pray that, that as, as you continue this work in us, God, I thank you that we are a generous people that we are faithful in prayer, that we are people who sacrificially serve one another in your name. But Lord, we know that you are always calling us to go further, deeper, to, to in greater and more magnificent ways to honour you and reflect you and enjoy you. And God, we know that in all of these things and in our, in our financial giving, we know, God, that as we give with that kind of heart, the very thing, money, that can so easily have a hold on us and steal our joy and cause us so much stress and keep us from you ultimately no longer has that power over us. And we can freely give with a generous heart as led by you, Holy Spirit, and get great joy and satisfaction out of seeing our part that we're playing in your kingdom work through this local church in communities of Hillsville, the Yarra Valley, and beyond. So God, would you give us just a, a, a fresh vision of what you are calling each and every one of us to do so that we can resolve in our own hearts what it is that you are calling us to contribute. And Lord, that when you do that with us and give, grant us that peace, that that would then result in us giving with a cheerful spirit, cheerful hearts. So Lord, we thank you and we thank you ultimately, God, that you are Jehovah Jireh. You're our provider. You provide for our every needs. And while at times we might lack certain things, we don't lack in the main treasures that you bestow in your presence, in intimacy with you and the joy of the gospel. And so, God, would you just guide us, would you shape us, and would we glorify you in all these three areas, now and into the future. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.